UMGoBlue.com. By fans, for fans, since 1999. Hello, welcome to this edition of the UMGoBlue.com podcast. This is Phil Callahan along with Clint Derringer. And we're going to talk about Michigan's dominating victory over the Penn State Nittany Lions, winning by a score of 41 to 17. Well, Clint, what'd you think about that one? Well, there was a scary feeling, obviously, to, to be that dominant in the first half and, and actually behind, uh, needing needing that last uh, field goal drive on offense to, to retake the lead going into halftime. That was an uneasy feeling. Um, just because there had been other times that Michigan had played well, not this season, but in, in recent past, where Michigan had played well, but things go sideways and all of a sudden you're, you're looking up, right? At the last time I remember feeling like Michigan was dominating a game and then all of a sudden they weren't winning was, was Michigan State last year. And maybe even a little bit the, the Penn State game last year. But I, you know, definitely the Michigan State game last year was dominant performance the way that it felt and looked. And then all of a sudden, geez, you're, you're behind on the scoreboard. So that was disconcerting. But uh, when they came out, uh, when the teams came out from the second half and Michigan, you know, gives up a field goal to let Penn State back in front. And then really from that point forward, absolutely dominated, absolutely dominated, just a 35 to zero from that point forward. Right. So, um, and, you know, as we'll talk about, I'm sure Penn State needed so many, you know, minor miracles just to be in that position when they were up a point early in the third quarter. Um, that last 35-0 to zero stretch really was much more indicative of, of what was going on, especially in the trenches uh, where the linemen are playing. You know, it's funny, Clint, that you mentioned that minor miracles that they needed. Um, I was flying. I, I had a business trip last week, and I was watching Top Gun Maverick. And there's a point in the movie where they say, you know, we need two miracles in order for this mission to, to turn out, right? And I, I kind of laughed at myself. I'm like, well, there's Penn State's two miracles. I hope they don't have any more in them. And, you know, the other kind of ironic thing or weird thing was quarterback J.J. McCarthy had talked about earlier in the week. It's just when you talk about potential and you look at what we have as a group and you look at who we're coached by and you look at what we're doing on the field, it's just not matching up with our potential and where we should be and where we're going to be. I mean, everything's a process, and this entire season is just continual growth week to week, but I just feel like we should be not getting stopped offensively with the talent that we have and the scheme that's put in. We shouldn't be stopped. So just being able to find our groove like we did in the second half, every single drive of every single game is going to be huge, and once we do that, then then we'll break through that surface for sure. And then you kind of had this, oh, here they go. Michigan goes marching down. I mean, just unstoppable. And then they get within the 10 and get stopped twice. And then, you know, he, he was asked if he was concerned that, you know, he'd, he'd been putting more and more of his play on tape. You know, teams are accumulating film on you and adjusting mm-hmm. to what you've shown. I mean, how do you kind of try to counter that or try to maybe take into account what they might be? I'm doing the same thing to them. I'm doing the same thing to them. And, uh, it's just, I mean, that, that comes with the territory, too. And I feel like with my play, 
I haven't even scratched the surface myself on what I'm fully capable of. So they haven't seen things that I have in my bag and that I haven't shown yet. So it's just um, it's a new week every single week, and there's new things being put out there every single week. But yeah, I'm doing the same thing to them. They're putting stuff on tape. I'm studying it, and yeah, it's kind of that's the fun thing about sports. But then I'm starting to think, wow, you know, does Penn State know something that we don't, right? And you know, the other thing that um, you know, you, okay, we've seen a lot of football, right? You have seen teams, and not just Michigan, dominate, but not convert points on the scoreboard, right? Yeah. yeah. And and you have we have seen where there will be a huge momentum swing, where, um, you know, the team that's getting outplayed keeps dodging bullets and suddenly rises up, and what was different about this game and you know we talked about it really all through the tail end of last season is that there has been a noticeable culture change whereas in previous years and previous coaches this kind of momentum swing might have really knocked Michigan off their game but you know how I took you know what happened going into the half was I think it just made Michigan mad, right? Um, and it was like, well, you got to come out and, and, and show them what you have. Um, you know, there was a little bit of, of drama in the tunnel. Oh, I was late to it. I didn't really see what went on, but just from how they were acting emotionally out there going into the half and how they were emotionally all game, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was them starting it and we just finished it. So, yeah. <laughs> what, what happened in the tunnel at Man, they started talking. Uh, the whole week they've been Twitter fingers, and, uh, talking to us on social media. One of our guys was on live, and uh, they told him, oh, we're going to see you, da-da-da-da-da. And uh, we all told each other they want to have those Twitter fingers. They want to talk on social media. Okay. And then they didn't talk on the field. So they want to talk at halftime because they got lucky. But, yeah, that's it. And you know that always adds a little bit of uh, of juice to the to the to the game, a little sizzle to the steak. But again, you know this had the feeling of a big game, but it also had the feeling watching it that really Michigan was in control, except for those, as you said, two miracle plays. Um, you know, and and I will tell you when uh, the Penn State quarterback broke for the long run, it was such a good fake. I was celebrating the sack in the backfield and suddenly he was, you know, running downfield for his life. And then that completely crazy circus interception, um, you know, now again, uh, perhaps JJ shouldn't have thrown that ball, but you know, it was like pinball bouncing all over rebounding and, and, you know, again, uh, a circus that, that led to Penn state's uh, second touchdown there. Yeah, a couple things on those two plays. So I was was driving around the the metro area here on some different errands, uh, you know, family obligations, like I said. So I listened to the radio call live of the run, uh, Sean Clifford's run, sixty-two yard run down to the four-yard line, and Doug Karsh, the play-by-play for uh, Michigan radio broadcast, totally totally fooled. Right? He he actually called just like you said. You were celebrating the tackle for loss on the running back. So was Doug Karsh. Doug Karsh said, oh, he runs into the line, tackled in the backfield. 
oh wait, no, no, what a ball fake. There goes Clifford and he's, you know, nothing but grass in front of him. So, you know, you know that it's, you know, these guys watch so much football I and mean, you and I watch a lot of football, but they, they're watching even more film and preparation um, than, than you and I do. Um, so to, when they get tricked by a ball fake, right, it's, it's really good. You got to kind of tip your hat to, uh, to Sean Clifford there. And, and then, you know, because I wasn't able to be kind of putting the information into my charting live, I had to watch the TV broadcast later, of course. And guess what? Gus Johnson, fooled by the ball fake, called the tackle for loss. So it wasn't just you. It was, you know, the TV broadcast team and the radio broadcast team. I listened to both. They were both uh, fooled on that particular play. And on the on the interception, you know, two two main points. The throw is not the throw is not the problem. The the problem on that play is as JJ is coming out from under center and and rolling out, he slips. So he's not first of all he's trying to recover. Like you know how you trip walking along the street and then you jog for a couple sides. Yeah, you, know, you jog for a couple steps for no particular reason. It's the same same concept. He stumbles and he's he's off rhythm. He, he's he's out of out of sync. That's problem number one. Problem number two is that he throws the ball, and the guy that actually makes contact with the ball first, right, it just makes a decent play as a defensive lineman, right, gets himself in the throwing lane. He's not going to get there for a sack or for pressure and gets his hands up and, and, and makes a deflection. You know, if that thing goes straight down to the ground as an incomplete pass, it's pretty pretty run-of-the-mill play. But after its first contact, it bounces off of two helmets, so this weird shaped football bounces off of two round helmets and straight into the hands of the linebacker. And everybody's kind of blinking quietly for a second and, and he takes off and scores a touchdown. So yeah, that, that miracle, uh, really, really well executed ball fake on a third and one ends up uh, leading Penn state to get on the board where they make it 13 to seven. And then on the next drive for Michigan is this, add bounce of the football and uh, they run it back for a pick six and 14, 13 in the, in the first half. The only other thing that I would add on that particular sequence is there was a play earlier before that where JJ uh, was, was avoiding some pressure and he kind of, it's tough to tell if he was trying to squeeze it into Blake Corum or just throw it out of bounds, but he's like, off balance and wings it out to his right as far as he can throw it. And he just gets it over a linebacker and Blake Horn catches it for like a six yard gain. And that play probably deserved a pick and maybe to be a pick six. So, you know, these things tend to work out in the long run, uh, law of large numbers things. So that, that throw, that decision by JJ to wing it out there to the right, that one probably deserved to be a turnover. The one that he actually stumbled and then threw the ball into somebody's face mask, uh, probably just a bad bounce, but that, that stuff will all work out. So watching, you know, live, there were a couple things that I'm not sure the broadcast uh, communicated very well, you know, because I always watch the game live, then watch the broadcast, because when you watch the broadcast, you really see a different game, right? And I always try to integrate okay, the game experience with the broadcast, and here you integrated it even with the radio call, right? It was really windy down in the bowl. 
right? And to the point where JJ has a rocket arm, and I I am continuously amazed at the throws that he can do on the run. And even with his arm strength, there were a few times you could see the ball kind of flutter a little bit, um, you know, deflect in the wind. Watching the first half, I felt as if J.J. either a little bit of frustration or a little bit of overconfidence or both was pushing the ball a little bit. And it's one thing to have a great arm. It's one thing to have great accuracy. But you can't throw through people, right? And again, you mentioned the play where it was it was a great throw under duress, but you know, maybe should have been an interception. There were a couple other where I thought he might have been pressing. And I think that, you know, when you have your running backs just going off, and you know, JJ mentioned that. I'm being like I say all the time, I'm so happy that they're on my team, but just them being able to do what they do opens up so much and it's it just it shows today, it's gonna show when we need to throw the ball like it did last week. It, it, they just open up so many leeways that we could work as an offense and uh, two like extremely special players, extremely special human beings and yeah, I'm just so blessed to have them on my side. Again, you know, here we we have Blake Corum, who's quietly entering himself into the Heisman Trophy race. And then you have Donovan Edwards, who outgained him, right? You know, you had Edwards, 16 carries for 173 yards, and Blake Corum, 28 carries for 166 yards. I mean, that's amazing. Coming into this game, this was supposed to be, and I say supposed to be, you know, the big test. Penn State had a very was very very good against the run, and um, they had talked a little bit during the week, and um, you know again you you really had to wonder how this was going to go. Um, you had former Ohio State coach Jim Trussell say before the game that you know Penn State was going to shut down the Michigan running game. I didn't think they were going to completely shut them down, but I certainly didn't expect you know, over 400 yards on the ground. So, again, I think that, um, you know, as you get into the second half, I mean, J.J. had a good game, you know, 17 for 24, 145 yards, but he really kind of let the running game take over. And when you're rushing for 400 yards a game against the number 10 team in the country, uh, I'll sit back and be a part of that ride every single game. I think that what we saw was, you know, a little bit of, you know, him maturing in front of our eyes where, you know, the conditions weren't great and they didn't need him to throw for 300 yards this week. You had, you know, Donovan and Blake just running like crazy. And uh, there was even a point in the post game where, you know, Mike Morris said. All three phases of our, of our team are playing at a very high level right now. You know, we got the fourth down stop and then I'm walking off the field. Uh, taking my helmet off, asking for water, and I look up at the scoreboard and I see break. I see Blake break one loose. So I'm like, I'm happy for him, but I was a little tired. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I look. I'm looking at uh, two and seven. I'm like, bro, y'all gotta let us get a break a little bit because both of them broke one off like the first play. And I'm like, I mean, I love y'all. Good job, but <laughs> so I uh, mean, our backs are crazy. Our backs are crazy. I'm glad. Uh, 
on film, y'all get to see them uh, go get somebody else because in practice they're dangerous. Just an amazing dominating victory and a game that, you know, I, I really expected Michigan to win by two touchdowns, but I thought it would be a closer game and they would extend it in the fourth quarter. I didn't expect it to be, you know, two miracle plays away from being a, a monstrous blowout, right? Yeah, I think you're to that point, right? Penn State had a bye week to prepare for this, right? So I, and I put this, you know, out there in the pregame, uh, you know, as we were kind of getting ready for kickoff, I expected Penn State to come out really, really hot, right? With with a really good game plan and with, with an extra week to kind of self-scout and then do the extra analysis on what Michigan was doing uh, two weeks ago and uh, last week against Indiana, you know, I expected Penn State to really start fast and for Michigan to kind of have to weather that storm and then eventually pull away. It, it, Michigan kind of had to weather a storm in the flurry, like right before halftime, not coming out from the opening kick, you know. So I, I was surprised by that. And when I saw Again, I didn't get to really uh, look at the detail as much uh, when it was happening live. But once I was watching the broadcast, and you see it. You see the Michigan offensive line moving guys. You see uh, the offensive linemen, you know, coming off double teams and getting onto the linebackers with, with ease. And the, the size of those holes um, that Edwards and Corm are running through are just gigantic, right? And, and then there were certain points in time where it didn't look like Penn state was, was lining up well, um, that there was confusion. And, and I just, I don't know how I would be very frustrated if Michigan looked like that coming out of a bye week going into a big game, you know, two undefeated teams playing for a shot at the division crown. Uh, I, I would be, I'd be pretty livid if Michigan came out and looked as discombobulated as, as Penn state did, you know, point blank. I, I I don't know what happened there. So um, glad that's not my problem. I'm glad that I'm a Michigan fan. And I think uh, I, I don't know that, at least for me, I don't know that I've outwardly said or given enough credit verbally and, and on the on the record here to the job that this coaching staff is doing, again, with two, two new play callers on offense, uh, two new coordinators, first-time coordinators, a new defensive coordinator, a lot of position coach switches, right? And Harbaugh's off-season drama, um, all of that rolled into a package. And they come out and they look sharp. They look motivated. They look so good that we we figure that it must just be the terrible schedule early in the season. And now the first real test comes into Ann Arbor and they look absolutely gangbusters so gotta give obviously all of the credit to this coaching staff and to the players for what they've been able to do through the first seven weeks of the season here going into the bye week and then i would also say that you know we were seven and oh at this point last year in 2021 and you know there, there's still plenty of unfinished business to to handle going forward here so, definitely, there's more games to play. But I will tell you, Clint, after last year, 
as much as I believed that there was a culture change, I was prepared for a little bit of a dip. Um, again, you lose David Ajabo, you lose Aiden Hutchinson, you lose guys on the offensive line, and I expected a bigger dip than this. And it, it really seems that Michigan is just rolling and dominating and Mike Morris talked about it in the in the post game. You know, like y'all said, the narrative is that Michigan has played hasn't played anybody, and um, I feel like that's not true. I feel like everyone in the Big Ten, Big Ten is very slept on. I feel like everybody in the Big Ten can beat anybody in the country. So uh, Maryland was a great team. Indiana is a good is a good team, and um, oh, I mean Iowa was a really good team, great defense, and uh, now Penn State. You know, people want to look at it as we haven't played anybody, but in reality we have. And uh, we showed up and showed out. And now people say we haven't played anybody. And now Penn State, again, we showed up and we showed out. So that narrative can keep going, but uh, we're in the business of proving people wrong. So that's all we got to do is show up and show up. The confidence of this team, the camaraderie of this team, um, you know, there was, there was a really funny bit um, between J.J. Uh, McCarthy and Donovan Edwards, um, you know, in the post game, going back and forth. And it just... It's exuberating to see how much better we can get. And, uh, yeah, I just, I just can't wait to keep growing with these guys. I love these guys. I love these coaches. It's just an awesome team environment, and I can't wait to keep going forward. Donovan, you had a reaction when he said the word Nah, it was, he said, uh, exuberating. 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 <laughs> I was just thinking, like, spell that. <laughs> it really seems that this team is in a really good place. Um, you know, they're confident, they speak well, um, and, and they back it up, right? Because as much as, as entertaining as J.J. McCarthy was in the pregame you know, uh, press conference this week, if the team doesn't back it up, it doesn't mean anything, right? And, you know, there was there was another little clip in the pregame where, uh, you know, in the, uh, the, the week press conference where Donovan Edwards actually interrupted the press conference and was giving J.J. a hard time about who was picking up dinner. You. JJ, I heard that you wanted Chick-fil-A tonight. Nah, that's uh, you. Sometimes you'd be begging the household uh, <laughs> with, uh, to bring the Chick-fil-A to your household. That's a question you can answer, because you're going. <laughs> uh, but we, I heard that you like to take turns going every week. And uh, you did go last week. On Monday, Tuesday, went to Chris. Uh, I did go last week, though. Could you repeat that? I did go last week. Chick-fil-A? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, or it was two weeks ago. That's what I mean. What game was that? No, it wasn't after the game. It was during the week. Thank you for your time. Okay, yeah. <laughs> hey, safe travels to Chick, man. <laughs> That's a far drive. So, yeah, we, we take turns. We rotate. Right. And there's just this, they look like they're having fun. They, you know, they, they're having a good time, and they're backing it up. And I think that's that's the most important thing, right? You know, you can talk the talk, but if you don't walk it, it doesn't matter. And this team from top to bottom just seems to be, um, you know, backing it up. 
Um, Coach Harbaugh had, you know, some. I mean, people ask me all the time, like, you think they're ready? Uh, yeah, I think they're ready because they're ready to play every game. And uh, they act like they're born ready to, uh, to play the games. And I know I've been saying it for a couple months. I mean, there's, there's no entitlement to the guys, uh, you know, zero. And, uh, you know, they just um, they don't get the big head, you know, which is, uh, which is, a, is a great quality. And we all know that's a, that's a trap, you know, deep, dark, lonely trap. Uh, they play with joy. They play with gusto. And, and they, they show up ready to play every week. And uh, really, really with the goal of just winning the next game um, and getting prepared for it. And that's evidenced by, uh, you know, gosh, I'm coming up at the tunnel, you know, telling guys they had a great game, you know, and Blake's on the Michigan State coach, offensive line, heck of a pro- performance. I mean, 412 yards, guys. I mean, that's great. Coach, on the Michigan State. Okay. I like, your, I like where your head's at. Let's, uh, let's keep it rolling. Harbaugh, as long as he's been here, has gotten a certain amount of grief from the fans and the media about uh, how he communicates in um, press conferences, right? Like, he doesn't always give the flashiest statements. You know, occasionally he's pretty entertaining. But you really get a sense watching him that, you know, this is how he wants it. He wants the team to do the talking, and, and he'll just, you know, add a little a little color here and there. But... This is ideally what he wants. <laughs> Winning the football game, yeah, that's my favorite way. Yeah. Every every week, you know, just win the game. Play their game on the field. Leave it all out. You know, he said before they don't put pretty on the scoreboard. But man, this one was this one was dominating, bruising, pretty. I mean, just to see, you know, again, um, Penn State got shut out in the first quarter. Michigan got uh, stopped twice and kicked two field goals. You know, they won six nothing. They were winning six nothing. Second quarter, Penn State had those two miracle touchdowns. Michigan scored a touchdown and then had a field goal to take the lead going into the half. And then Penn State only managed one field goal in the third quarter. Michigan scored, you know, two touchdowns, a two point conversion, and then another touchdown and a and a field goal in the fourth quarter. Final forty one seventeen. And how often do you look at forty-one seventeen and say it wasn't even that close? Yeah, yeah. And I, as you were crunching the numbers there, I, I realized that I said thirty-five nothing. It should have been twenty-five nothing earlier. Um, I, I wanted to call back to a couple of things that, that you said there. First of all, Harbaugh and his communication. Um, again, I'm going to reiterate. There's there's no reason not to believe what what the man says. You know, until until proven otherwise. It, he he pretty much tells you what it is. He just doesn't always package it the way that you want to hear it, especially from a media standpoint. But uh, I have yet to feel um, misled or, or or anything dishonest uh, ever coming from from Jim Harbaugh. And there's you know there's a certain there's a lot to be said for that um, as a leader of a program, you know, uh, and, and constantly in the spotlight. He, He's uh, he's unpredictable in many ways, but what he says, you can you can typically believe it. And and again, I, I know that I've said it and we've reiterated it many times over the long haul, but probably deserves another another one right here that I, I tend to believe what he says. Also, 
he's got this new thing after the game where he does his best to dodge the sideline reporter on their way across the field and out the tunnel. And now he's, he's turned whichever player has a good game. He, he goes there and then uses that player as a, as a shield hands the player to the, to the sideline reporter and says, talk to this guy. He had a great game. I'm out of here. <laughs> so he's always, he's always like tried to dodge the sideline reporter, but he's, his uh, tactics are evolving. And I, I, I personally think that it's pretty funny, but um, it, it's probably frustrating for the folks that are just trying to do their jobs uh, on the, on the sideline and, and do the reporting. But uh, just from an entertainment value, it, he's finding a new way to try to dodge that sideline reporter every week. So uh, keep an eye out, see, see what new tricks he pulls out next week. You definitely get a feel that this team is continuing to build. And, you know, the, the other thing that was, you know, funny is, you know, one of the things that Coach Harbaugh did talk about is this team is locked and focused on what they need to do. And you got to believe that some of that is because, you know, they had that disappointing loss up in East Lansing last year. Okay, so last year we had Hassan Haskins and Blake Corum and, you know, thunder and lightning. And you really felt that, um, you know, you, you caught lightning in a bottle, right? Oh, my gosh, we got two amazing backs. And when Blake got hurt, Hassan just plugged in. And as great as a recruit as Donovan Edwards was, you still like, okay, you're not just going to step in and improve on Hassan Haskins, right? You, I mean, that's, that's almost too much to expect. And now this year, they call themselves Lightning and Lightning. And you have Mike Morris talking about how the coaches were warning the Michigan defense, well, if Penn State can really run the ball, Man, everything y'all see in uh, y'all see in the games is we see in practice. You know, there are some plays where I have to cover them on downs, and it's like I just I just look to the coach like, why are we calling this play? <laughs> so, um, you know, it's uh it's definitely interesting because everyone said these two backs are really good backs. Our coaches were hyping them up, and I'm just looking at our coaches like, we go against the two the the best duo in the country. Like, what are you talking about? Like, I feel like we're prepared, and. Um, they help us every day. I feel like there's no back that we're going to go against that will give us a different look. And, um, yeah, 7-2. and two. I love them. <laughs> you know, there are times where you kind of snicker at that or you wonder if, they're, if it's overstatement. But, you know, it statistically it looks like it. And, you know, as much as we're talking about Blake Corum's Heisman campaign, you know, uh, hey, Donovan had a big game too. And it's just – it's amazing to see, you know, we've talked about this in the past, that I think we both expected this two or three years ago, right? We expected it sooner in Harbaugh's tenure, but the future is now, right? I mean, this is dominating. This is really a Michigan team imposing its will. And when you think about the off-season drama, which, you know, we talked about in our uh you know, season spectacular last year of, oh, is Harbaugh going to leave? Oh, what's going to happen with these coaches leaving? Oh, my gosh, what's going to happen? Oh, recruiting is down. Oh, what are we going to do with the transfer portal? And all the dials are coming up Michigan right now. Not to mention that, you know, you had this incredible running attack. And this was the week that 
running back coach Mike Hart was out for a couple days. And, you know, here you got Michigan, you got, um, you know, you have a coach ready to plug in and, and fill in, right? And it's just amazing to me that you have, you're so deep right now, and you're even deep with analysts and coaches, and Mike Hart's out for a couple of days, and here you go. Um, Fred Jackson pops in, you know, and, and helps out a little bit, and this running attack did not miss a beat, not a beat at all. Yeah, it, it, I was going to make a, a similar point, not about the depth of the coaching staff, but just what Mike Hart has done, I think, in this running back room in his two years with the program. I mean, it's it's not a coincidence. It's not a coincidence that you had the, th- the, the boom and zoom or thunder and lightning last year with Hassan Haskins and Blake Corum, you know, uh, and then you really see this year Mike Hart's impact. And I'll, I'll, I'll try to help you uh, really see where you can where you can see his impact. These guys in this game against Penn State, the, the reason that the Michigan's off, or, uh, running game was so dominant on top of the offensive line just being, you know, absolutely paving guys and winning one-on-one matchups, if you watch the running backs, they really press toward – uh, a specific hole and get the linebacker to commit. And Joel Klatt talked about this at one point in the, on the TV broadcast, but I thought, I didn't think that he highlighted it or really telestrated it as well as he could have. But both running backs, Blake and uh, Donovan are really pressing to one hole and getting a linebacker to kind of commit to that gap and then hitting a cutback where there's nobody else to help. Right, so they're they're making the the linebacker in this kind of cat and mouse game, on either side of the line, they're they're making him take himself out of position, really setting up blocks, um, very well, and that nuance, that running back skill nuance, is really what Mike Hart was really really great at. Why he was so great at running that outside zone, is he really really set up those blocks very well, and the other thing that made him very very good is that he always finished falling forward. Mike Hart always finished with his shoulders forward and almost never got tackled inside the five-yard line. And you're starting to see that more and more, especially from Blake Corum, but now also from Donovan Edwards. If you look back early in those guys' career, as freshmen especially, they would press the, the gap. They would press to the hole where the play was designed to go. And if it wasn't there... They went sideline hunting, right? They bounced it wide. They started running sideways like every middle school or high school program that we would watch. They were still high school runners. And now they're running with such patience and savvy inside and between the tackles that if you really want to get a deeper appreciation for the work that Mike Hart's doing as a coach, watch those guys on some of those five, six, and seven-yard runs and what they're doing to the linebackers, uh, obviously with a huge boost from the offensive line that was that was absolutely dominant. And J.J. McCarthy talked about that offensive line. It was pretty much blowing them off the ball. Yeah, as simple as that. Our offensive line, I, I say it a couple weeks ago, say it today, they're the best offensive line in the country. And they showed it today, and uh, they're going to keep showing it. And <coughs> There hasn't, there hasn't really been a team that's stopped us completely with the run, and I don't think there will be. And one thing to take note of, 
is in last game, Trenny Jones got hurt. This game, they plug Carson Barnhart in, and Michigan really has an interchangeable line. It's, it's you know, and we can think back to past years where they'd have a good line, but if one guy went out, you'd have a weak spot. Well, you know, they have been shifting people around in these first seven games, and they have been interchangeable. And that, that is a testament to the coaching on the offensive line. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about, um, you know, Coach Harbaugh was reserved in the post game, but J.J. Uh, McCarthy shared, uh, you know, Coach Harbaugh's thoughts. Like Coach Harbaugh said in the locker room, it's, it's a butt kicking in every which way a butt could be kicked. Harbaugh did say. Call it a statement game? Okay. Call it a statement game. Uh, and then we're, we're moving on to Michigan State. And, again, it's that acknowledgement that this was a big game, but, you know, as the season builds, every next game is a big game, you know. And, and as much as they want to talk about nameless, faceless opponents – we know that Michigan State is going to be special. Um, and, again, through Harbaugh's playing career, bad things had happened when, you know, he played Michigan State. You know, obviously that was the game he was injured in. And Michigan State has been very vexing in his coaching career. So you know that that's floating out there. You know that Michigan State knows that, right? You know that as disappointing as this season has been for them, this is the – Air quotes, rivalry game. Anything can happen. And I really feel like that, you know, on the Michigan side, this game has been a red-letter game and really looking forward to how they come out. And, uh, you know, especially after this bye week where everybody can get healed up and uh, Michigan can have something dialed up for for the Spartans. It's going to be a night game. It's going to be crazy. And really just – this season just keeps getting better and better and, and really, really super enjoyable. Great for the fan base, and it, it's great to see the players enjoying themselves. Yeah, I, I agree with that uh, wholeheartedly. I think the the statement game part of it with, with Harbaugh, his statement, right, is, is he's kind of calling back to what the narrative was for, for this program and for him as, as Michigan's head coach for so long. Uh, until last year when, when you know, that the 21 team helped get so many of those monkeys off of uh, the program's back. You know, and now, again, especially at home, you know, the, these big games, statement games, top 10 games uh, come up, and, and nobody's ever tried to run away from that, certainly not, not Jim Harbaugh, right? He embraces those uh, moments to be, you know, to compete at the highest level, and it seems to me that that's what he loved the most about the, the players and the staff in this current program is that he really sees his mentality, his, his competitiveness, his competitive fire um, really playing out uh, and, and kind of coming to life through the, the players and, and, and the leaders and the team. And, and he's even mentioned that, that J.J. McCarthy kind of reminds him of a young Jimmy Harbaugh. So I, I, all of this, again, I, I tend to believe what he says. He, he, he says what he thinks uh, pretty clearly in those cases. So I, I, I can't believe, and you said this earlier, I can't believe that we're really 
feeling this like positive surprise that that all of this positivity has stayed the same there, there's all of the changes it almost felt like there had to be some level of, of a dip uh in in the positivity and the energy and the and the uh leadership by example uh coming off of last year and i just i don't see it i think that this team is is hitting on all cylinders in in a similar fashion to the way that that the 21 team did and, and that's truly a testament to a, a new crop of leaders and 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 some great coaching and the last last thing i'll say about the offense maybe we can try to get some of the defense in here too um is i wish i wish we could go back a few years ago especially when shea patterson transferred in to be the quarterback here i was particularly excited about what was possible if they could start integrating the quarterback into the run game, right? And now we see J.J. McCarthy, who we know his legs are a factor. I I just keep saying, like, week to week that I need to use my legs more, and it's in situations like that. I mean, you go back to the 2019 season with Joe Burrow and everything he was able to do with that, and I'm faster than Joe Burrow, so I should be able to do it at a more effective level. But, um, yeah, just being able to – capitalize on those opportunities when they're not having eyes on me and they're covering downfield well and just being able to add that to the offense and contribute in any way he was mostly a running quarterback last year uh with the 21 team uh he ran for 56 yards i think in this game um but really where his impact is being felt is those long runs that you know that you know the 67 yarder for uh, Donovan Edwards and the 61-yarder for Blake Corum. Uh, there's one defender that's not there, at least in the box, paying attention to those running backs, and it's because that defender is responsible and accountable for J.J. McCarthy. And that hasn't been the case in the last four years, where we thought maybe uh, Shea Patterson was going to be capable of it, but it never really came to fruition. Now with J.J. McCarthy and his skill set, and also... I think part of the credit for this comes from or should go to Matt Weiss. And he was the run game coordinator with the Ravens, with John Harbaugh, and with um, who's the quarterback for the Ravens? Lamar Jackson designing that run game around Lamar Jackson's skill set as a running quarterback. We're, we're seeing a lot of those themes and a lot of those uh, play designs really really benefiting that and i i would say that jj mccarthy is probably a better passer than than lamar jackson obviously not the same level of runner but the dual threat nature uh, of this offense still has not hit its ceiling in my opinion well jj is definitely feeling his running ability and you know i want to make another point prior to this game we were talking about how it is the first time since 1976 and 1977 that Michigan had started out 6-0. and Now that Michigan is 7-0, and and as you mentioned, they started out 7-0 and last year, the last time was 1972-73. This is, and again, it's got to be sustained, but, but we are once again in the potential of a golden era for Michigan football. And I think it's what we were really excited about when Jim came back and we're seeing it on the field. And, you know, the, the other 
you know, and again, I just keep, you know, Clint, we talked about this, right? Two years ago, after the COVID, the disastrous COVID year, there were people in the fan base who would have been happy if Harbaugh left, right? There were people, even last year, after the great, you know, uh, college football playoff appearance, when the rumor was that Jim was flirting with the NFL, there were people who were, um, you know, okay, Jim, whatever, right? Man, we're all on the bandwagon now, right? The bandwagon is full, and there's room, and it's just, it, it's amazing because I think back to last year, the criticism in the media of, okay, you can run like that early early in the season, but you can't run like that against Penn State or Ohio State, and they did, right? And it looks like last year was just the beginning. I mean, they're continuing to have that dominating, crushing running game. And when you add a talent like J.J. McCarthy, who can run himself, and I think you made a really great point that, you know, there is a defender locked on to J.J. You know, there is somebody spying him because you can't let him get around the edge, right? He'll kill you. And it, it's it opens everything else up. It, it's It's like if you had gone back two years ago and said, well, I think what Michigan's going to do is they're going to be they're going to be run first, dominating def, you know offense, dominating defenses all across the country. I think people would have rolled their eyes, and we are seeing it unveil before us. Yeah, absolutely. I, I again being just uh, just over the just past the halfway point of the season, the last callback that I would make I think is to our uh, post bowl podcast after the the loss to Georgia and really feeling and understanding the gap between Georgia who would go on to win a national title and and where Michigan was last year the best year that we had seen in a very very long time certainly and I remember guys like J.J. McCarthy and Blake Corum and Andrew Anthony staying out on the field and kind of soaking in that Georgia celebration and embracing that that pain and discomfort because that that's where they wanted to be. Their, their eyes were on that as the prize and they haven't backed off of that in this season. They're talking about playing well enough to, to be, uh, to win a national title. And in order to do that, there's some awfully big dragons that you got to slay and, and uh, you got to find a way to beat uh, Tucker, Mel Tucker and the, Spartans in a couple weeks. You got to take care of business against uh, a resurgent Illinois team in the uh, in the proverbial trap slot. We hit game number eleven, and then you got to travel to Columbus, and you got to duplicate the effort and and beat the Buckeyes again. And this time you got to do it in Ohio. Um, so again, there's a lot lot. A lot of climbing still to do on this season, but I think that the, the the kids on the field and the guys in the booth and on the sideline deserve a, a heck of a round of applause for calling their shot at the end of last season through a pretty tumultuous off season and just putting the work in and and coming out and doing it again. And here they are, right in the mix again with everything that they want to accomplish. It's all right there. They, they just have to keep 
keep marching the way that they are and stay focused. And it's going to be going to be an exciting next uh, six weeks or so. Now, I know people are probably tired of hearing me talk about J.J. McCarthy, but even in the press conference prior to the Penn State game, he talked about that Georgia loss. He talked about that exact moment you mentioned. Uh, yeah, we talked about it a lot, just like in the off season as our motivation. And it's always just remember that feeling, remember that feeling. And we just say remember that feeling. We know exactly what to feel. And uh, that's one of those moments, too, where it's just like, man, like I'm so grateful that happened because what it did for us this off season was tremendous. And we wouldn't have had that extra motivation going into this off this season if we didn't have that. And he also talked about, you know, that – after he was injured, okay, and missed spring ball, he's still getting stronger now. Yeah, 100%. I mean, there was a lot of deficiencies just in my back and my mechanics that all got fixed this offseason. Like, the, the whole injury was one of those things where it's like, oh, shoot, that's terrible. But is it really? Like, really wait and see. We have no ability to um, see the future and see if it really was the worst thing that could have happened to you. And feel like that was one of those blessings in disguise where, yeah, I was out for spring ball and that sucked. But in the long run, it was probably one of the best things that ever happened to me. Okay. So imagine, and, and he said, listen, you know, you know, bad things happen, but, you know, was it a bad thing? He goes, you know, he got to sit and watch the game and, you know, he's, he still has, uh, you know, strength to get. He's still getting better. So just – you know, if this isn't 100%, imagine what we have ahead. So, again, really exciting. And I think you're right. You really got to give the coaching staff credit. Um, you know, you talked a little bit about the defense. And, you know, we raved about Mike McDonald last year, right? And he definitely set up the defense. And, you know, it, it's the, the bones. They're still running, right? The same setup. But, Wow. Jesse Mintner came in and has continued to add to it. So, you know, the guys on the defense, the players, realized in spring ball and realized in fall camp that they there were questions about them, how you were going to fill, you know, guys who just went right to the NFL, right? Uh, you know, uh, uh, a top five draft pick and, you know, David Ojabo probably would have been a, a you know top 10 or 15 pick if he hadn't been injured. You know, they knew there were there were questions, and and they have worked hard to answer. So, um, you know, kudos to everybody around. And again, there's work to be done. Um, you know, got you got this huge rivalry game, which, um, man, this is this has rivalry game in capital letters, right? But, you know, you mentioned Georgia, right? So watch a lot of college football, and you know, right now Georgia is that hanging question because they dominated Michigan last year. I was at that game. It was not fun. It was not, it was not good. Right. And they look like they're rolling too. So, uh, you know, Michigan still has to take care of business. There's a lot of games, but again, there is a, a looming challenge ahead and you know, who, who knows who else is, is surging, but right now Michigan fans got to feel great. And, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, my last note on the Penn State game is Michigan played Iowa. 
there was someone on you know on the Iowa sidelines wearing a shirt that said, "I'm here for the punter." If they're the only Michigan fan who should be unhappy, is if there's anybody who was disappointed not to see Michigan punt. Well, you're the person who can be disappointed with the Penn State game because that was just a, an amazing performance. So if there's anybody who loves to critique the punting game, you're allowed to be disappointed after the Michigan-Penn State game. <laughs> yeah, and, and Brad Robbins, if, uh, if anybody's interested, he uh, he really leans into to his sense of humor uh, on Twitter. If anybody wants to check that out, he uh, he he. he he made it clear that he uh, he was a little bit bored during that Penn State game, and that, that was pretty amusing. I, I did want to give one more round of shout-outs, not, not a ton of uh, analysis on the defensive side, but think back to the 2020 season that was, you know, such a terrible anomaly and, and uh, you know, bad on the field, sidelines, and, you know, there was nothing positive about that season when you think back. And specifically, the the secondary, the defensive secondary, cornerbacks and safeties and pass defense was just awful in 2020. And, and then we hire Steve Klinkscale, and he comes in and coaches the, the defensive backs, um, makes an immediate impact on the recruiting trail. All of a sudden, you know, we're, we're, we're able to shut down uh, the Ohio State offense last year with, you know, three first-round picks, you know, two that were drafted last year in the NFL draft and Olave and Garrett Wilson and, and uh, Jackson Smith and Jigbo is going to be a first-round pick at some point. And those guys held their own, stood toe-to-toe with the best wide receiving core in the nation last year. And what did he do this year? Oh, you know, just improve from there and also start, you know, teaming up with – Jay Harbaugh and the safeties, and now you've got three all Big Ten caliber safeties to pair with your two corners that were so great, Jamon Green and, and DJ Turner. You add in your five-star freshman stud corner, Will Johnson. Uh, you bring a wide receiver over to play nickel, and Mike Sainra still, all he does is step in admirably in a, from a coverage perspective for Dax Hill, a first-round draft pick from last year. And then you've got R.J. Moten, Makari Page, and Rod Moore all playing at a very high level as safeties. That's seven defensive backs right now that are all contributing in big ways after, again, coming up off the mat from that 2020 season. So the same way that I was trying to heap some praise on, on Mike Hart for the running back success, I think Steve Klinkscale deserves a lot a lot of credit for the work that he's done in that defensive backfield. And, um, you know, same, same caveat, a lot of work to do, still some big, uh, big hills to climb going forward. But I I think that he deserves his own separate uh, piece of appreciation from this program and the staff and and the fan base. I also want to give a shout out to Mike Sainristel because here you have a guy who was a receiver last year. And, you know, often when guys switch positions, it's not a good story, right? It's they don't they don't ascend. Right. He's been lights out. And, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about Brad Robbins. I do want to give, um, you know, Jake Moody the a shout out because he dropped the hammer, you know, on, on one of those uh, 
Penn State run backs, right? He he laid them out. So it's great to see everybody contributing. Any final thoughts before we close this out? No, enjoy the bye week. Watch uh watch at least one other Big Ten game and figure somebody else to root for for a week for whatever reason you see fit. And uh, you know get to enjoy football without the uh, the anxiety uh, of your favorite team playing, and then get ready for you know the uh, the backyard brawl for Paul Bunyan coming up here in two weeks in Ann Arbor and uh, under the lights. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the UMGoBlue.com podcast. This is Phil Callahan along with Clint Derringer. Go Blue. Thank you for listening to the UMGoBlue.com podcast. All rights reserved. Search for UMGoBlue.com on iTunes. Go Blue.